Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Ephesians chapter 4, I want to begin reading in verse 11, even though we covered verse 11 and 12 last week, but to keep it in context, and, and he, God, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Often you get a, you, you may see a birthday card that says something like this. You're not getting older. You're just getting better. But you know, that's not the case with a lot of people. As some people get older, they, they do get better. But as some get older, they get bitter. And some people are adding years to their lives. Others are adding life to their years. The same can be said spiritually. There are a lot of people who are not growing spiritually. They're not growing up. They're just growing older. It was interesting. The Guinness Book of World Records says that the average weight of a newborn is seven pounds, six ounces. The heaviest baby ever born was in 1879 in Ohio. Sadly, it only lived about 11 hours. The boy weighed 23 pounds. Now his mother, Anna Bates, was herself an unusual woman because she was seven feet, 11 inches tall. And her husband was as tall as her. And so the heaviest surviving newborn seems to have been a 22 pound, eight ounce boy born to a lady in Italy in 1955. That's a big baby, 22 pounds. But I want you to know, in my lifetime, I've met some 150 to 200 pound babies. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> now I'm talking about somebody who has been a Christian for a while, but they have not grown. In fact, years ago, y'all remember Amy Grant, since we're going back in years, y'all remember, did you ever hear that little song, that song she sang called Fat Little Baby? And it basically talked about somebody who'd been saved, uh, but they'd never grown. And, you know, and, and occasionally you'll come across some big babies in church, 
And that song was based on 1 Corinthians 3, 2, where Paul said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. In writing to the Ephesians, Paul comes to the place where he says, look, God has given you gifts in the church to equip you that you might grow up in the Lord. You might mature. And so I titled this passage, Growing Older or Growing Up. The fact is the ministry, he said that he given us the, in verse 12, he's given the saints for the work of ministry, ministries outside the church for building up the bodies inside the church. And we're supposed to be growing, spiritually growing. So with that in mind, I want us to think about, first, let's talk about striving for spiritual maturity. In verse 13, he says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, the word perfect there means mature. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Now, you ladies would say there is no perfect man. We know that. But that perfect there does not mean perfect without flaw, like you would think something's perfect or pristine. It means that you might be a mature believer. Now, how do you know if you're mature? It's believing. How do you know you're a mature Christian? It'd be kind of nice if you finally developed a mark or something like that that God would give you that said, bingo, you're a mature Christian. Chuck Swindoll said it this way. A grown-up Christian displays wisdom, self-discipline, and a commitment to a consistent walk with Christ. He or she is determined to obey God regardless of the cost, to seek regular nourishment from his word. Also, a mature Christian strives to reach out and care for others, whether they be friend or foe. Such an individual willingly shoulders his or her responsibilities with a contagiously positive attitude, that's what a mature grown-up Christian is. Now, I want you to think back for a moment when you gave your life to Christ. There was a time in your life when you realized you were separated from God, and, and even if you were a child, you understood that you needed to be saved, and you prayed and received Christ, gave your life to him, you committed your life to him. I want you to think back. Did you know that you are still in school, spiritually speaking? You became a babe in Christ, but you're supposed to still be growing. There's never a place or never a time that we finally graduate from spiritual growth. Now, we get more mature, but some people say, well, you know, that's all I want. I just want to go to heaven. I don't really care about the things of the Lord, and yet that's kind of a... That, that goes against what the scripture teaches because when you know Jesus, you want to know more, you want to grow. But some people just sort of have this, I'm going to cruise along until I go to heaven when I die. And, and, but we're supposed to grow in the Lord. Now, as a body of Christ, we mature as a church, we mature in two ways. Now, individually, we mature, but you can tell a, a group is maturing in the Lord, first of all, by their doctrinal unity. He says the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, the, the word faith there is not the 
subjective kind of faith that we have in Christ. It's the objective content of the gospel and doctrine. It's the faith. He, he, earlier in, in chapter 4, he said there's one faith. What he means is there's one gospel. And so one of the mature aspects of a church is they, they, they understand some guy can't come in here and teach you another gospel without you knowing it. The church begins to, to mature in that. Paul is saying the ultimate goal of the Christian life is the unity in what we believe. Now, there are going to be some things that we will disagree on, but the, the main thing we don't disagree on. We can disagree on our eschatology, which is the second coming. You know, nobody has it perfect. I, I, I've already said there'll be a, an eschatology, a second coming correction class when we get to heaven. Or actually, we won't need it. We're going to know then. But most of us believe the same thing about the second coming of Christ. But there may be a few details that we don't agree on. But that doesn't change the gospel. We all agree that Jesus is the only way to be saved. That's, that won't change. We all agree that the word of God is his word. I believe it's inerrant. I don't believe there's any, any, any errors in it. I, I've always said I believe it from Genesis to the maps in the back. <laughs> and I do. I believe it's God's word. And so there are some things that we're going to, to be together on. We're growing toward unity. Jude reminds us to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The only ones who have the truth are Christians. We have the word of God. We're the ones that have the truth. We're to always contend for the gospel. But another way that we mature is that we have a deeper understanding or a relational um, understanding with Christ. Faith is objective. This is we don't change this. It's objective. It doesn't matter how we, what we feel about it. It's God's word. Subjective is the knowledge, the, the aspect of knowing Christ, the experiential part of it. The more we see Christ at work, the more we understand and have a relationship and embrace a relationship. Paul mentioned to, to the Philippians in chapter 3 when he said he wants us to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. So here the knowledge involves every aspect of the Lord's life. We want to know Christ and to know more about him and, and apply that to our lives. We, I mean, think about when you first started following Christ. Do you have a deeper relationship with him now than you did when you first started? I mean, he was your savior when you first started, but now he's more than that. He's part of every every aspect of your life. Uh, now you have a deeper understanding. So you see that there's a doctrinal unity and there's also a deeper understanding of who Christ is. Our relationship with him grows. Well, let's talk about the standard for spiritual maturity. Now look at verse 13 again. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is our standard? How can I tell if I am a mature Christian? Now, sometimes we look at people that are well-known back when Billy Graham was still alive or 
we would think now that is a mature Christian. Or maybe when uh, Mother Teresa or somebody that's famous, you would say, now that's a mature Christian. But did you know they aren't, are not our standard? We're not trying to be like Billy Graham or Franklin Graham. It's not the finest or the frailest of mankind that's our standard. Sometimes, sometimes we look at a bum in the gutter and we say, huh, look, I'm so much better than they are. And we start assigning value to people. But the Bible never talks about that. In fact, Paul warns us about comparing ourselves to other people, whether good or bad. It reminds me of a little boy who came to his mother one day and said, Mom, guess what? I'm eight feet, four inches tall. And she said, how do you know that? I said, I'm measuring it with my ruler. Well, she looked, he had a six-inch ruler. So he's actually four feet, two inches tall. But, but when we stand next to someone else that we think we're better, we look much taller or more spiritually mature. We measure ourselves by one another. And Paul said, look, if you want a measuring stick, stand next to Jesus. He's the standard. In fact, he, uh, he said, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head in verse 15. He is the measuring stick. He's the standard. You, when you are completely like Christ, you graduate. Which means we're not going to graduate till we go home. When we reach the, the, the maturity and the spiritual height that Christ, we're not going to be Christ, but you know what I'm talking about. I shared this with you several months ago, but you heard about the, the little boy who who had a puppy, he came in through the kitchen one morning. He said, Mom, I'm going to sell my dog. And she said, oh, really? He's a pretty good puppy. I'm going to ask $10,000 for him. She laughed and said, well, good luck at that. And he came back before lunch, and he didn't have his dog. She said, well, where's your dog? He said, I sold him. For $10,000? Well, not exactly. I traded him for two $5,000 cats. And that's the mistake we make. We say, well, there's a $5,000 Christian. And then we see somebody over here in the gutters of life and say, well, that's just a $3 Christian. And so we begin to assign value to people, but, but Jesus Christ is the standard. And when you come to a place of spiritual maturity, you're going to let Christ live his life through you rather than you trying to imitate him. He's our standard. The reformers cried out, sola Christo, Christ alone. Maturing into the fullness of Christ takes us to a, a level of wholeness that we need to strive for, not that we'll ever be perfect like Jesus, but we're supposed to be coming more like him. The Holy Spirit is changing our thoughts, changing our mind, changing our, our desires. And many times we convince ourselves that we're doing just fine. And how do we do that? Well, when you look compared to someone else, I mean, you, you can always find somebody that's in your mind worse than you, but we don't compare ourselves to one another. We compare ourselves to Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he said, we do not dare 
to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. So the standard, the goal for spiritual maturity is to become more and more like Christ. And I don't know about you, but I've still got a long way to go. Sometimes I think I'm in the remedial class. Well, we see the standard. Now let's look at the shallowness of spiritual immaturity. Look at verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Ask yourself this question. Am I moving away from childish attitudes. Now, there's a difference in being childlike and childish. Childlike, we're supposed to have childlike faith. The wonderful thing about children is that they believe you when you tell them something. They believe you, and they will do what you ask them to do because they believe you. We're supposed to believe God and say, God, I will do it. I believe you. Childlike. But childish is quite a different thing. And you and I know that because we've been one. There are two general, general characteristics of childishness. The first one is instability. Children are are notoriously fickle. Their attention span is short. You cannot interest them in one thing very long before they're after something else. And it's okay for you to be a spiritual babe, baby for an acceptable time. When you were born again, you were a baby in Christ. You didn't know a lot but you knew that you were lost and needed to be saved and you committed your life and God gave you the righteousness of Jesus and just like he told Nicodemus, you were born again, spiritually speaking. And there's an acceptable time for you to eat baby food. You know, as a grandparent, and our, our children, our grandchildren are beyond baby food. I'll just go back to when our children were babies. Did you ever taste any of that? I'm surprised we weren't arrested for child abuse. That stuff was horrible. But it was, we fed them baby food because that's all they could handle at the time. And you feed on the milk of the word and a baby needs exercise and you might find a ministry in the church and a baby needs warmth and fellowship. That's why you come to church and a baby learns to talk and that's how you begin to pray. But the problem is that some people have been spiritual babies for a long time. They've stopped growing. And anything that stops growing is um, not healthy. He uses two pictures here. First, he uses the waves tossed to and fro. You, you, do you ever, you ever feel like spiritually and emotionally you're just tossed back and forth? 
Obviously, there are going to be days when we feel like the wave went over us. But, but some people are just as unstable as they can be. They just seem to be tossed back and forth. The weather or how people treat you or the stock market or whatever's bouncing back and forth, they're just all over the place. Now, folks, we, we have a bad day every now and then. I'm just going to tell you, some days people are going to get on your last nerve. And some days you just... You're just seeing gloom, despair, and agony on me. All right, we're, not, we're going to talk, call those the exceptions. Even Elijah had one of those days. I mean, you know, he went out there and tried to die hiding and after, right after he called down fire from heaven. I mean, it just, you're going to have some moments like that. But your life is not characterized by that. For the most part, there's stability have you ever noticed how an immature child never guards their emotions? If he's angry, you're going to know it. If he's happy, you're going to know it. If he's sad, you're going to know it. They have no control over their emotions. It's similar how the waves come and go. In 1824, there was a lawyer in Illinois with a hot temper. And he publicly criticized another attorney. Now this was back in the days when they still had duels. And the attorney who had been criticized challenged the offender to a duel. And they chose swords instead of pistols. But the hot-headed one was afraid he was going to die because he wasn't much of a fighter. Well, they met on a sandbar in the middle of the Mississippi River, swords drawn, and the critical attorney was afraid he was going to die because of his mouth and his temper. But fortunately, some other people intervened, negotiated, and the two attorneys were reconciled. The hot-tempered lawyer apologized for what he had said, and he was so shaken by that experience that for the rest of his life, he decided he would not shoot off his mouth until his brain was in gear. And that lawyer later became the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And he was a man who had a cool head in the midst of one of the greatest crises in our country. And he realized his anger was an act of immaturity. And with maturity, he learned to keep his emotions under control. Immature Christians are not under control. Meekness means to be under control. You still have a temper, but it's under control. Just as an example, it, immature Christians can shoot off their mouth. They're just unstable. But they're also impressionable. Paul's imagery is really expressive here. He uses the word cunning and trickery. It comes from the word, we get our word cube. And it was used in playing dice. And the idea, the picture is of some cunning trickster with loaded dice swindling money from unsuspecting people. Have you ever noticed that anytime any little nuance or some spiritual flag comes up, there are some people who are going to jump on it? It seems like they chase everything that, if it's new, they're for it. 
Oh, there's a new truth finally. And it seems like whoever has the newest little turn on the truth, that's where they want to go. They're blown about by every wind of doctrine. They don't ever look beyond what's going on. There's an uncritical acceptance. They listen to anybody. There's no fear that they'll be trapped into anything. But those who are more mature in the Lord, they began to compare things with Scripture. And they begin to say, wait a minute. It looks good, but I want to check it out. Brandon Hayes and I were meeting earlier this week. And... He was telling me that there's a new group on the tech campus called Christians at Tech. Sounds great, doesn't it? The only problem is they're not, they're not what you're looking for. Very, very exclusive. Nobody can invite anybody to come. Very legalistic, very controlling, like a cult. And kids are being drawn there, and then some of them are finally beginning to see, hey, wait a minute, this isn't accurate, and they're leaving. I'm just telling you that uh, stuff like this comes up all the time, but there are some people who just want to run every time there's something new. Let's go. There's something new going on over here, and, and you find them just moving around all the time. Well, that's not a sign of maturity. They realize... Mature Christians realize the enemy is subtle. Have you ever noticed how Satan counterfeits everything of Christ? And you can tell the difference. There are people who have Christian in their name, on their signs, Jesus on their signs. But it's not the same Jesus we follow. He's he's not the son of God. He's not the only way to be saved. Oh, they're nice people. They have great family values, but they believe Jesus and Satan are brothers. That's not the same Jesus, folks. So you've got to, uh, immature Christians say, well, you know, this is, there's something new. It's just, it's gotten kind of boring. And all they ever do is just lift up Jesus and preach the word. There's got to be something more to this. And so they take off. Now, I understand when people are led to go to another place. That's not what I'm talking about. But do y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever met anybody like that? Let's go to the next conference. Let's go to this. I've heard this. And, you know, and, that, and that's why you see some of these things that make a giant splash and then they disappear. Or the next thing on television. And it's amazing to me how many people believe everybody they see on the Internet and on YouTube and on television. I know that we're on television, but don't take it my word for it. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things, 1 John tells us, so the Holy Spirit will let you know. If there's ever a check in your spirit about something, then you need to take a serious look at that check because it could be the Holy Spirit saying, there's something not right there. So what are the signs? Unfaithfulness is a sign of spiritual immaturity. (laughs) You know what? We've got about... Eight congregations here. Because some people come once every two months. 
If we got everybody here all at once, I don't know where we'd put them all. But the fact is, there's some people who just, they're about as faithful. They're just not faithful. It's because there's no maturity about them. A mature believer is committed to Christ, not being legalistic. I'm talking about just being faithful to Christ. What are some of the signs of spiritual maturity? Some of you, some of you may have some growth marks at home. When your children were growing up, you may have marked the spots as they were growing. It'd be nice if we had some spiritual growth marks. Hey, I look, I finally, I finally found it. We'd, it'd be nice to be able to measure it. There will be some signs. You know, we, there are indications that we've grown. And I, I was amused. David Roper said, my youngest daughter, Angie, graduated from the university and started teaching in an area college. One day, she went to a nearby restaurant for lunch. And the man who seated her asked, are you a teacher? Surprised, Angie said, well, well, yes, I am. And she enjoyed a warm feeling throughout the meal. She looked like a teacher. And as she was leaving the restaurant, she asked the man, how did you know I was a teacher? He said, you had chalk dust on your back. <laughs> there, there are going to be some indications of what you do, but... One of the things that you're going to find of spiritual maturity is stability. It comes from getting in the word, from learning the word, from reading the word. You're not going to be led astray by hanging with the scripture. Who do you think comprises a lot of the members of the cults today? It's Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterians who didn't know the word. Somebody came to the door and gave them a messed up translation of the scripture and said, I want to tell you there's no hell. And some of them said, well, I like that. I'm going to join your group or whatever. And some of these folks have been in church 20 and 30 years, but they are not stable spiritually. Whenever somebody comes to your door, don't believe everything they say. You be kind. But they're going to come tell you, some of them are going to say Jesus was a created being. He's the first order of creation. They'll say that. That he's not son of God, that he's not God. There are going to be others who are going to say, well... Um, there's other truth other than the Bible that tells us more about Jesus. <laughs> How's that for not calling names, but you ought to know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Another sign of spiritual maturity goes right along with it is sound doctrine. A person that's sound in their doctrine, sound in the scripture, is going to be stable. Now, he's not talking about salvation knowledge, but the deep knowledge, the epinosis, the full knowledge that is correct and accurate through a relationship with Christ that comes from spending time with him, prayer, and faithful study of his word. How did you learn what you know? 
Well, some people taught you, some of it you read, some of it you've learned by experience. Hasn't God been good? So you've had a, a full round of learning the deeper knowledge of things. Because when you first were saved, you didn't know all the things that God would do for you. But you can look back now and see the hand of God working in your life, can't you? Well, that's a deeper knowledge. Hey, I, you're not going to convince me because I know what God can do. Some people learn by experience, but it always has to coincide with God's word and by teaching, by studying his word. Now, for a moment, let's digress a second. Isn't it amazing what you can learn by watching movies? For example, the ventilation system of any building is the perfect hiding place. No one will ever think of looking for you in there, and you can travel to any other part of the building without any difficulty. You learn that from the movies. Uh, here's another thing. Um, um, should you wish to pass yourself off as a German officer, it's not necessary to speak the language a German accent will do. Or a man will show no pain while taking the most ferocious beating, but will wince when a woman tries to clean his wounds. <laughs> Cars that crash will always burst into flames. Any person awaking from a nightmare will bolt straight up and pant real hard. That's <gasps> what they do trying to teach y'all something here. <laughs> Any person waking from, oh, a cough is usually the sign of a terminal illness. All bombs are fitted with electronic timing devices with large red readouts so you know exactly when they're going to go off. When in love, it's customary to burst into song. Another thing you learn is one man shooting at 20 men has a better chance of killing them than 20 men firing at one man. How about this? Most laptop computers are powerful enough to override the communication systems of any invading alien civilization. Most people keep a scrapbook of newspaper clippings, especially if any of their family or friends have died in a strange boating accident. Any lock can be picked by a credit card or paper clip in seconds, unless it's the door to a burning building with a child trapped inside. When driving a car, it's normal to look not at the road, but at the person sitting beside you or in the back seat of the entire journey. The more a man and woman hate each other, the more likely they will fall in love. There's just a lot of things you can learn by watching the movies. But folks, you're not going to learn sound doctrine unless you read the Word of God, unless you hear the teaching of the Word of God. Another sign of spiritual maturity is you're going to speak the truth in love. You know, there are a lot of people who come up to saying you, they'll, they'll just come up and say, well, I need to tell you something. Well, you just brace yourself. They're about to say, I'm about to hurt you. And there are a lot of people who are long on truth, but short on love. But remember these three words, brutality, hypocrisy, and maturity. Brutality is when you speak the truth and there's no love. Truth without love is brutal. And some people think that's a wise attribute, but it's just brutal. 
And then there's hypocrisy, is love without the truth. Telling somebody you love them, but not being willing to be truthful with them. You don't really love them because honesty and truth telling are the basis of a meaningful relationship. If you see somebody headed down the wrong path, if you really love them, you're going to try to stop them. It doesn't mean they'll stop, but you at least try by telling them the truth. But maturity is speaking the truth in love with a heart that says, my heart's broken. I want to help you because I love you. Brutality is the way kids act. You ever notice a child will say anything? They don't care if they hurt your feelings. They'll just say anything. That's why if you're a parent, you have a three-year-old in the nursery right now where the nursery worker's probably bending down saying, now what did mommy and daddy say after they threw a casserole at each other? They'll tell everything that happens at home like the little boy. You, know, have, you ever had your child get you in a predicament? Yeah. One little boy was standing in the grocery store. Right in front of him was a large man. Little boy said loud enough for everybody to hear, Daddy, that sure is a fat man. <laughs> Daddy was trying to get him to be quiet, and all of a sudden that man's beeper went off, and he said, Look out, Dad, he's backing up. <laughs> he, uh, trust me, I've been in some of those situations. But you know, it's not just kids that act that way. There are a lot of grown ups that, um, will say whatever comes to their mind, no filters, and they're downright proud of it. Well, there's nothing to be proud of. Just because you say what's your mind, say what's on your mind doesn't mean that that's an attribute that you um, ought to be proud of. True Christian maturity means you, you're going to tell the truth in love. How can you tell the difference? Well... Anytime you're going to tell somebody the truth and you're telling it to them to hurt them, that's not speaking the truth in love. But anytime you're speaking the truth to them because you genuinely care for them and you want to help them, that's speaking the truth in love. And that's what he says, but we, a group that can speak the truth in love. Another sign is serving Faithfully. Now look at verse 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. It's each part does its work. Paul actually coined a phrase here. He takes the word that means joint, one of your joints, and then he uses the word with, and with these he links the word to choose. And basically what he's saying is God has chosen you to be part of this body right now at this time. I tell new members often, we never take for granted when God sends somebody to our church. Because whether you know it or not, God, if God has led you here, I'm assuming that he has, God has picked you to be part of this body. You're not an accident. He chose you to be here. And you're where God wants you to be. He puts you here with, and it may be sometimes it's hard for you to swallow because some people can be prickly pears at times. But the fact is, 
This church needs you. With whatever it is God's gifted you with, hey, this church needs you. I know it's a big church, but there's some ministry or some service that needs your involvement. And, you know, a lot of people have a strange idea about service. They're sort of like the boy who went to church one Sunday, and when he went home, he said, Mom, why did they have an American flag in the sanctuary? She said, honey, it was in memory of the men who died in the service. And he gasped, which one, 8, 9, 30, or 11? <laughs> well, that's about all the service some people are going to have, just sitting in a worship service. But worship can be a form of service, but when you leave those doors, that's where the service begins. From Christ the head, the body grows, not as an independent little bodies, but as a unified whole body. For this to happen, each part of the of the church, each part of the body must do their work, serving faithfully. We may not always serve the same way the entire time, but, but I just want to be a part of what God is doing. Not that I have to, I want to be part of what God is doing. And so do you. You want to be where God's at working, where lives are changed and people are loving. You want to be part of that, whether you're praying for them or, or whatever you're doing. And I just appreciate so much how many people faithfully serve, not just in the worship services, not just in the building, but, but faithfully serve during the week, ministering to one another. I heard testimonies today of of how Sunday school members are taking care of one another and helping one another. And, and it takes all of us to do that, to serve faithfully. I told you not too many months ago about the little girl who been working on learning to tie her shoes. She kept working on it and working on it. She finally got the knack of it and was able to do it by herself. And her parents were delighted and surprised when all of a sudden she just started crying. She tied her shoes and started crying. And they said, well, honey, you just learned to tie your shoes. That's wonderful. Why are you crying? She says, because now I'll have to do it all by myself for the rest of my life. You know what? We're supposed to serve faithfully for the rest of our life. We can't always do what we always did, but we can serve the Lord some way faithfully. If we're prayer warriors, if, if we're encouragers, if you're many, meeting the needs of other people, I, I, there's just ways to serve the Lord. It doesn't have to be in this building. I'm going to close with this story. I've read it to you once before, but it fits perfectly with what we're talking about here. Did you hear about the business meeting, the tools held in the toolbox? Mr. Hammer presided because he was sort of the biggest and the strongest. He called the meeting to order. Mr. Saw stood up and said, I think we ought to get rid of Mr. Hammer because he's always knocking people and making so much noise. Well, Mr. Plain stood up and said, if you get rid of Mr. Hammer, you got to get rid of Mr. Saul because Mr. Saul is always cutting people down. Mr. Ruler stood up and said, if you get rid of Mr. Saul, you have to get rid of Mr. Plain because Mr. Plain only does surface work. He's so superficial. 
Mr. Sandpaper stood up and said, well, if you get rid of Mr. Plain, you've got to get rid of Mr. Ruler because Mr. Ruler is always measuring himself by other people and he thinks he's always right. Someone stood up and said, well, if you get rid of Mr. Ruler, you've got to get rid of Mr. Sandpaper because a rougher guy you've never met, he's always rubbing people the wrong way. So they just continued to argue and fuss and fight about who was the most important until the carpenter from Nazareth walked in and picked up those tools and built a pulpit from which the whole gospel could be preached to the whole world. And when these tools found out that they could become what they could become in the hands of the master carpenter, they decided they would quit fussing and fighting and just surrender to the use of the master carpenter. And that's what we need to do. We've all got different abilities. But God puts all of us weirdos together and does something glorious for his, his, his kingdom. And so I'm glad that we are together. I want us to continue to grow up and not just grow older. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you that that you're, you're still growing us, that no matter what our age is, we're still learning, we're still maturing. We have a long way to go. But thank you for how far you brought us. We, we all know we're still a work in progress, and we're grateful that you haven't given up on us and haven't written us off, but you're still working on us. But help us to use our gifts to help your kingdom. Help us to work together, to love one another, to not compare ourselves to one another, but to compare ourselves to you. Thank you for loving us in spite of all of our sin and all of our shortcomings. Thank you for still loving us and for still using us. And Lord, it's a joy to be used by you because we know that you could, you could easily do it without us. But thank you for letting us be a part of it. I thank you for each of these people that are here tonight. I do lift up David and Barbara Mills to you one more time, asking you to help them this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks, for being here. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.